0: So he said, when white people figured out the world didn't revolve around them, they decided there must be no God.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Oh.
0: And I was I was I was just like, <gasps> <laughs> he's right. Like, he's right. <laughs>
1: I'm profane faith today. I have J.R. Forestero's on here. Woo. We going in. that America is a place where all things are possible. That is some group of people, thousands. I hate you, naturally. No, 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 not God bless America. God damn America, That's in the Bible. Welcome to Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane Define God. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Welcome back. Welcome back to Profane Faith. Yes um, well, you listening to this episode right now, you must have already been hearing some other episodes, right? Right? Is that right? Because if not you know what you need to go back to episode zero zero and you definitely need to subscribe to this podcast yes you can do that in itunes you can do that from our website whitehodgepodcasts.com um and you can you know subscribe in other places where you find your podcast that so those are the big things right now i mean subscriptions telling a friend how about rating us especially if you getting something from this podcast um As you know, I started this to have conversations around faith and religion and theology uh, uh, that is on the margins, that has been out there, that is questioning the norm. Um, That's been a large part of my own faith development. And so I am I'm encouraged by that. I'm encouraged by doubt. I'm encouraged by mystery. Um, And those aren't easy places to be. Right. I mean, those of you who have been there, you know, it's not an easy place to be around. It's not an easy environment because those answers just aren't simply there. You can't just look up and say, oh, here's something that I, you know, came up with and or here's something that I knew or that mama, grandma told me and now I can engage with it and uh, and life makes sense, right? Nah. And we in a special era right now. I mean, you've heard me say this over and over and over, but this is the first time you're listening and checking it out. We are in a special era where I believe we are right. People are searching, like they're grasping at the at the at the, at the fences for for answers and for 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 security. Right? This 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 important push for the safetyization. I want to feel comfortable in my environment. And. I just don't see that particularly coming to fruition in the sacred scriptures. I don't see that you know, there was constant turmoil, right? I mean, Jesus's life was a, a constant, ongoing turmoil, right? And right, we, you know, I get it. We miss a lot of Jesus's adolescence. I'm curious to know, what was Jesus like at nine years old, right? Did he go to middle school? Did he you know, pack his own lunch? Uh, you know, what was he doing? Like, what did he build? Like, what were some of the things that Jesus built? <laughs> Are they still standing, right? Like, man, wouldn't that be a trip, you know, to go and to see, like, this is how Jesus built. Like, you know, he, he put it together and you know, here's the cornerstone. That That kind of stuff. That's kind of stuff I think about. So with that in mind, I brought on one of my good friends. Uh, He quickly became one of my good friends, J.R. Farsteros. I met him at uh, a conference, my guild, American Academy of Religion. And uh, he came to one of the sessions when I was giving We were doing something on Luke Cage. And I was talking about hip-hop and Luke Cage, which um, if you're interested in that, I guess we should do a whole episode on Luke Cage and the hip hop and religion and and whatnot. But if you're interested in that, hit me up. I'll get I'll get you some material on that. But he came to that. I met him and we just hit it off. It's just one of those. He was one, he's one of those brothers that when I connected with him, it was just like, oh man, you're like a long lost family member, man. Like, hey, how you doing? And so. Uh he brought me on his podcast and then I was already at the point where I was thinking about doing a podcast and then we started another one on by Wednesday on the America Gods television series And we've just hit it off uh JR is a pastor out in Dallas, Texas, and that you know that's when I was like okay he's gotta be in some place like Boston or New York and when he said Dallas I was like wait a minute Texas Man, oh man! But I'm telling you, it is. Wait, wait till you hear it. You go. You, we gonna get to this here in a minute. <laughs> wait till you hear it. He, he is not the stereotypical Texas Southern preacher. In fact, I don't even think he has a Southern draw. You know, you so listen to him, and this brother, you know, he, like I said, he sounds like he's from the East or West Coast. Uh, met his wife. She's a roller derby um and, and uh, roller derbyist. I guess that's how you say it. But she's amazing as well. You look in, at him, and they are just amazed. Two amazing people. Um, and Jr. has amazing heart, uh, He uh, it really brought me under his wing to figure out this whole podcasting thing. So you can thank him for that. Um, and the conversation I had with him really revolved around faith, uh, doubt, spirituality, questions. He has so many great nuggets that I really wanted to have him on the show. And we're going to have him again on the show as well. So this is just our first introduction of Brother JR. And so uh, check it out. Check what he's got to say and how he puts it. And particularly as it relates to faith and as it relates to understanding a God in the cracks. You're going to see what I mean with the cracks here in a second. All right, check it out. Hey, folks, welcome back to Profane Faith. I'm your host, Dan White Hodge. I'm here with what has become one of quickly become one of my good friends. We met at AAR, American Academy of Religion, last year, J.R. Fosteros. J.R., welcome to the show, brother. Thanks Dan, a long-time listener, first-time caller. So I'm <laughs> excited to be here. That's right. That's right. And for those of you out there listening, you know, and if you like the podcast, you can thank JR, JR was a helpful mentor in getting me all, all this all set up and going. It's a huge learning curve, man. So, It you. is.
0: <laughs> yeah, but once you get it done, right now like now you're a pro.
1: That it sounds so good. Oh, it's such a good show. It's Oh, man, I'm telling you, man, cuz you know, and I was like, wow, man, you have all these podcasts and uh because share, share a little bit. I mean, what are the, what are some of the things that you do? What what makes you tick? What goes on for you? I know there's some roller derby stuff in your life and everything. <laughs> man, what's happening out there in JR land?
0: Yeah, so I live in Dallas, Texas, and uh, my wife and I have been here uh, three years at the end of September. So oh, I pastor a church in a little suburb called Rowlett. The church is called Catalyst Church. Uh, it's officially part of the Church of the Nazarene, but we say we're a church for people that don't like church. Uh, and so we, yeah, we, I mean, very, very like casual come as you are vibe. And actually we, you know, we were talking on the pre-show we, I think our, our church has really been doubling down on this idea that we really do believe that a church should be welcoming everyone exactly as they are, you know, and have no barriers to people feeling like they're welcomed and comfortable Mm. in the congregation and among the congregation. And so uh, it's been, it's been really interesting, uh, as the church has, has been growing in that direction to, to see how ministry has changed. But, uh, you know, I'm an author, I have a, a book coming out with University yes. yes. here in a, in a month and a half, uh, that I'm real excited about. And then, yeah, I've been, I've been a, so I, w- I started as a blogger like mm. way back in the days of Zanga, like I had a Zanga page. <laughs> yes, sir. You're um I won't, share, I won't share the name of it so that you can't find it but, oh come on uh, <laughs> um yeah so i you know i and it was that was back in the days when blogging was just sort of like a, an online journal you okay know? yeah right Belt what and whatever but but it really did like just getting into that the habit of writing my thoughts it it, it made me a clearer communicator it mm. made me a clearer thinker uh being in a, at a space where you can engage with other people and kind of do that back and forth was all, was very helpful for me. I'm kind of a verbal processor anyway. So, um, but probably about, uh, probably about four years ago now mm-hmm. uh, I kind of got, I kind of felt like blogging stymied a little bit for me. I just wasn't getting the kind of engagement I wanted. And that was when podcasts were really blowing up. Yeah. So I started, I started podcasting and man, I just love it. I think I have, I think technically Technically I have six different podcasts. Uh <laughs> yeah, uh, brother. Not not counting my sermon podcast. Uh f- I would say three of them, four of them are very active. Okay. And I do so many different ones because I have my interests are really varied. Exactly. Yeah. And they're Yeah, right. And so like I <laughs> for instance probably the main podcast which is the one that you've been uh, been on is the story men yes and we do we bring on a lot of authors uh we do a lot of pop culture and theology so we had you on for the luke cage episode right mm-hmm. just talking about like race and religion and all that in luke cage um dan and i do a uh an american gods recap podcast oh, with yeah. our friend Cage. i love that um yeah super and then, again that was just a show talking about religion in america and we were like well come on we can't can't not talk about that. Like, but, <laughs> right. right. Um, so, you know, we just did what, I think eight episodes of that. Cause there were eight, you know, we'll come back in season two, um, yeah. My wife and I, with a couple of our other friends, do a horror film review podcast because I love horror movies. <laughs> yeah, brother. It's, just, gonna, like, super fun. You're
1: going to have to win me over, but you've got me in a few of them, man. I'm I mean, like, come on. Yeah, get out, out. You love <laughs> I know, uh, man. I know. And I you told me about It, so I'm going to have to go check out
0: It. I'm going to have to. Man, it. don't go see It. You'll oh. never oh. sleep again. Uh, oh. <laughs> I mean, it, it's good, but it's real scary. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Um, no, the one you need to go see
1: is Mother. Oh yeah, I heard. I saw you post on that, man. Okay, yeah, Mother. it's
0: insane. I bet you love it. Okay,
1: all right. I know what's what's uh, his name is in there from uh, No Country for Old Men. What's his name? Um, Javier Bardem. Yes, yes. Hey, he's scary, dude. Oh just, man, just, yeah, he just you know, he, he play those roles, man. <laughs> uh
0: huh. I love Bardem. I think he's an unbelievably good actor. And yeah, you're right. He's so scary. Um, and then I do like I have two female pastor friends that we do uh, a Wesleyan theology. Uh, femi- Wesleyan Feminist Theology Podcast Wow. called In All Things Charity. Wow. And so again, like all of those, all of those podcasters, I have different conversations about different things. Yeah. And I feel like if I just did one, one, if I just did one podcast that was all the stuff I care about, like five people would listen to it, like my mom and a couple of other people, you know, because yeah. there's a lot of folks that love theology that don't love horror or that love listening to authors, but don't want to hear about you know a tv show that only us and a few other people watched right i mean so it's like (laughs) right i don't know i kind of like one of the things i love about the internet is you can find a community for just about anything so you know i create content i care about and then i put it out there and focus on the people that also like it you know and it's it's awesome yes man and
1: i well i mean let me let me back up on that because i've got so many questions for you man this is this is what i'm talking about so, um, well, sh- let me start here. So, what what is your faith journey? What has um, what has brought you and made you who Jr. is right now, um, and whatnot? Yeah, I, I, that's one of the questions I ask everybody coming yeah. on and stuff, man. So,
0: I was raised Southern Baptist, All but right. I was raised like it was. I was raised like moderate Southern Baptist, which today would be liberal Southern Baptist because they've gone so far to the right, um, <laughs> but. You know, I was so I mean, I say that to say, both of my parents grew up United Methodist. And so anytime I would go to my grandparents house for the weekend or whatever, we'd go to their churches. But I never, I never really thought about it as a different denomination. It just seemed more to me like the difference between suburbia and small town church. Okay. And and like looking back, I can see that like yeah, they were Methodists and these guys were Baptists and whatever. But it never felt that way as a kid. Okay. Um. And in my church growing up, I never heard a pulpit pounding sermon about, "By God, we're Baptists and this is what we do." And, right. Right. You know. So so I mean, I when I when I was uh, when when I received a call to ministry when I was sixteen, oh, I decided wow. I was going to go to the the Baptist college that was down the road because I knew some people from there and they were like people that I looked up to spiritually. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought, why not? You know? And yeah. it wasn't until I got to my little Baptist college that I was, that people were like, well, you know, Baptists do this and Baptists do that and Baptists do, you know, Baptists don't dance. And I was like, <laughs> we don't. <laughs> right. I was like, I don't, but like out of respect for people that might be watching, like, that's the only reason I don't dance, you know? Right. Right. Um, I, uh, I didn't know that we had like a theological conviction against it. And, and, uh, so it was, it was just strange, man. I mean, like in high school we had, we had Bible study before school. I, and I mean, I went to a public high school. Like we just, there was a teacher there that let us meet in his classroom once a week and we would just, and it was, I mean, I don't, I don't even know what denomination they, we all were, but it was, it, we never once talked about, Oh, you're a Lutheran. Well, that must mean this or, Oh, you're a Methodist. That must I mean, you know, we just all got together, read scripture together, yeah. prayed together. Yeah. And, uh, I don't, I mean, it wasn't any kind of big thing, but that was just it. It was like very ordinary. So, so I never really I was I in fact I remember I don't know if you were ever aware of Seven Ball Magazine. Seven it was a balls. it was like a kind of like a Christian alternative music magazine. For okay. like When you know in the '90s when Christian punk and metal were kind of on the rise. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was this cover story on Seven Ball Magazine when I was in high school, and it was this band Plank Eye who I loved. And the cover story was Plank Eye says we're Calvinist. And I was like, what's a Calvinist? Like, what what does that mean? And I read the article, and the article was all about the fact that they had decided to be Calvinist, but it never at any point defined what Calvinism was. So I read this whole article, and I was like, well, they're real Calvinist. I still don't know what that means, though, or why it's cover story worthy, you know? Yeah. Like, I didn't. And so it wasn't until I got into college that I was even given any theological categories outside of just like Jesus is God's son and he died for your sins. Like that kind of basic okay basic evangelicalism 101, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um so it was, you know, I was Calvinist for probably six months in college. Um and then I had a professor who casually dropped a reference to open theism. Mm. And this idea that like maybe God doesn't know the future. And of course I was like, well, that's stupid. And he was like, well, I mean, here's some Bible verses. And I was like, <gasps> what? <laughs> yeah, you're right. And so, and, and again, I always joke that if that, if that, if that private relatively conservative Christian university did anything for me, it was like, it taught me to really respect scripture. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. So for instance, I mean, again, I grew up, like argue with my science teachers about evolution, um, and <laughs> insisting on a literal six-day creationism, you know, all this, read all the books, you know, all oh, this stuff. Oh, yeah. And the summer after my junior or sophomore year of college, I think, mm-hmm. uh, I stayed in in the little town where our university was, and some friends asked me if I would lead a Bible study over the summer once a week. Sure, great, love to do that. And so we decided to start in Genesis and see how far we got, well, we didn't get out of Genesis 11 because I loved it. I just like, it was like every story. I was like, we could be in this story forever, you know? Right, right. But I read when I got to Genesis 3, mm-hmm. I read uh, I read a, a Jewish commentary that pointed out that there was nowhere in the New Testament or the Old Testament that identified the serpent in the garden as Satan. Oh. And I was like, huh? I, I'm sorry, What? <laughs> But it but the but the serpent is Satan. And then when I actually sort of like, and I had been again for several weeks now, mm-hmm. really diving deep into Genesis one and Genesis two. And and I realized that actually, like an original reader of this story would not have assumed that there was anything particularly angelic or demonic about this serpent. And mm-hmm. and that in some ways that actually cuts against the grain of what the story's doing. And that sort of set me on a path where I was like, well, wait a second then. Like where does this idea come from, and how come I just so casually accepted it as gospel truth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when the Bible never actually says it, and that was kind of the first time I realized that I not only believe the Bible, but I I believe this whole layer of extra stuff, un, completely uncritically. Man, you know? yes. Um, and so like, that was like the that was like the crack. And again, it came from a serious regard for Scripture. Like as- that crack formed because i was taking scripture so seriously and working so hard to understand the original context not just my assumptions about wow. it right which is what my my college trained me to do yes yeah and so that that you know once you know how that is once that crack is there i was about to say like, well, wait where like what else <laughs> what else you know oh, that's a wonderful analogy
1: by the way that crack that's yeah. i'm going to have to use that one man cuz you're right cuz it, it just cuz it doesn't it doesn't never You can't caulk it. You can't bring it back together. You can't staple it. I mean, it just, it almost
0: expands. It does. (laughs) And I think, you know, again, I think this is why churches so often are places where they don't welcome questioning because, yeah, if it, well, and in fact, okay, so my book, my book is called Empathy for the Devil, and I, I kind of give the villains of the Bible a second look. And of course, I do the devil. You can't call the book that and then, you know, leave out Satan. Right. And like, a lot of my material on Satan goes back to that moment because I was like, well, if it's, if, if, if the, if, if the serpent isn't Satan, then what does the Bible actually say about Satan? And I quickly figured out that this whole, this whole mythology that we have about Satan, that he was an angel that rebelled before creation and was cast out and all, like that. None of that's in the Bible either. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so if we actually take what the Bible does say about Satan, we get a very different picture of it. And I was, I again, I was just like, <laughs> So I wrote a I wrote a paper for my Christian theology class yeah. on this like sort of reimagining who Satan is according to what the Bible actually does say. Wow! And the professor that. that I had. Oh, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I would recommend reading the book when it comes out, okay. not uh, not my paper from when I was twenty because it wasn't actually a very good paper.
1: Oh, it was man. probably
0: a C plus paper. Oh, okay. but my prof, my my professor who was an adjunct, he had just finished at a. a, a, a Seminary that I'm not real hot on. I think it tends towards indoctrination rather than education. But he he gave me an A triple plus, but then wrote me like a half page response where he basically said he was praying for my salvation and was pretty sure I was a heretic going to hell.
1: Oh, man, those those comments right there, yeah. brother. <laughs>
0: um, I had another adjunct professor at that university oh. tell a class full of students. Not to talk with me because I was a heretic. No. Yeah, I wasn't in the class. Like there was just like a friend of mine wasn't. He was like, hey, you got a shout out today. Oh, <laughs> like, so, so that was undergrad, right? And again, I had wonderful professors there who really, again, taught me how to read scripture. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and showed me, like, I remember my favorite professor, his name is Dr. Rodney Reeves, uh-huh. um, still teaches there. Uh, just brilliant guy. And someone in class one day made a glib comment about liberals, Okay, and All he right. like he like stopped the class and he said, "Be careful what you say about the liberals, because most of them know the Bible better than you do." Oh, oh, he said. Oh. He said they have they have large swaths of the New Testament memorized in Greek, <laughs> and, and that actually was a formative comment for me because I realized, again, this is like one of those like duh moments in retrospect, but uh-huh. it really was a light bulb moment. I realized that people who disagree with me might actually be really intelligent thoughtful people who have really good reasons for seeing things differently than me whoa and of course i just never assumed like of course i'm always just like i'm right and everyone else is just dumb or wrong or what you know right and like so that was like this big this big transformative moment and it actually affected like what i did next yeah um yeah because by the time i finished by the time i was ready to apply to grad school's I thought, well, I could go to seminary somewhere, but I'm, I'm honestly kind of tired of being in a room with a bunch of people who already know the right answer is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we're just sort of trying to like, see who can say it smartest, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So, so I chose to go to the University of Missouri, Columbia, which is a state school and get a master's degree in religion, but from a state university. Wow. Uh, and that was, uh, initially it was horrifying Mm. Like I remember, you know, I remember I I sat down in the classroom ready for my first day of graduate school. I sat next to these two guys who were also first year grad students, just like me, and we were all talking about what we thought this class was going to be like. Okay. And we all had bachelors of religious studies, like that's the degree I got from my undergrad. Okay. But uh-huh. mine was actually a New Testament theology degree, but it says on my college diploma, bachelors of science or bachelor of arts of religious studies. They also had that, so we're all sitting there again ostensibly have the same level of education. And one of them is like, yeah, wh- who do you think we're gonna have to read in this class? And the other guy's like, oh, I mean, like, you know, probably have to read Levi Strauss. Like, oh yeah, Levi Strauss, man, whatever. And like, well, obviously like Freud, like, yeah, but Freud, man, his stuff about religion is hilarious. And the other guy's like, well, Marx and Mark, Yeah. And I'm like, I I only know like half of the names that you're saying. And like, I've heard of Freud, but I didn't know he said anything about religion. You know, right, I didn't know he had right. like a theory. Or- and and I immediately was like, I've made a huge mistake. Like I am not prepared for this, this program. Wow. You know? Yeah. I yeah. Was, I was, terrified, but I stuck it out and my professors there were very gracious. Mm. Um, and I learned, I learned there an entirely different set of questions to ask about religion, yes. you know, because, because that program essentially studies religion from the ground up, you know, it's not so concerned with, are there, supernatural beings and do they interact it's more like how are people religious yes yes. and that was huge for me i mean huge the idea that that there's a a hindu uh there's a part of a hindu temple worship ceremony that looks really weirdly a lot like eucharist and Mm. does that what does that mean if it means anything you know i don't know but it's worth talking about (laughs) um man the first the first day of that class our professor started out he said okay what is religion and it's like dead silence, right? Because it feels like a trap. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and someone's like, someone says, what? <laughs> he says, well, we're, we're this is religious studies, right? Yeah, that's why we're all here. Yep, I have a degree in religious studies, if anyone cares. Um, <laughs> and he says, so if it's religious studies, like, what are we studying? What is religion? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And again, it was like a bomb went off in my head. I was like, no one ever asked that question. Because it, at my college, Jesus is religion. That's what, you know. Like that's what it was so you know some brave soul sacrificial lamb <laughs> right. says believing in god and everyone's like yeah that yeah we feel very good about that person's name yes you know <laughs> and our <laughs> professor said yeah great that's a great that's you know great um so there are some major strands of Buddha, uh buddhism that are atheist so are those not religions we were like uh wow well i mean we thought Buddhism was a religion. Like <laughs> <No, so, so, laughs> we just started thinking apart and like you know, messing with what it is. By the end of that first seminar class, we were debating whether or not the Super Bowl is a religious holiday. <laughs> most of us feel pretty strongly that it is. Uh, <laughs> right. So yeah, so during that program, you know, it really taught me how to look at the people and what people do and how people think and act. I yeah. was in a church congregation. I was a youth pastor at the time for a Southern Baptist church. Okay. Um, that was a very kind, gracious place. They gave me they gave me the grace to make a lot of mistakes and to grow. Um, again, like I remember my very first Bible study on a Wednesday night as a youth pastor. I had this amazing, beautiful, theologically rich lesson about the Trinity. There you go. And I got finished with it, and the the five kids in there were like <laughs> <laughs> And I just realized, like they didn't, they couldn't give a crap less about the Trinity, because like they got to go to school in the morning, you know, and they've got all of these like real world problems that I had given them no, like, help with or answers to, and so like the Trinity for them might as well, I might as well have been talking about quantum physics, you know. Um, <laughs> that is hilarious, brother. And it's, like, totally demoralizing, you know. Yeah. it's like, gosh. I'm, Real bad at this job, uh, <laughs> uh, but like that church gave me a lot of room to grow. Uh, ultimately, uh-huh. you know, I figured out that that wasn't where I belonged. I I was huh. I was I realized I was I was a better fit in Wesleyan churches. Okay, um, that you know my theological convictions lean that way. I posted a blog post critiquing penal substitutionary atonement uh all right yeah which which i don't know if you know this but uh it's real bad to do if you're baptist and (laughs) a uh a pastor of an Acts 29 congregation in town actually got me fired from my church where i was a youth pastor what um yeah yeah because for you know and i mean again the southern baptist just this past uh summer at their big convention where they barely condemned white supremacy um (laughs) right another thing that they did was pass a resolution that insisted that penal substitution while it is not the only model of atonement it's the best one and the most biblical one and a necessary one and so i mean that's the way that they image god it has to be there and the way that i was imaging god it didn't belong you know and it was actually like kind of an outdated unhelpful model that we don't even actually really find in scripture Um, and so, yeah, I mean, he, he, he got, he got me run out of town. Uh, and that was, that all blew up in February and I was engaged to be married in July. Whoa, (laughs) man. Yeah. So that was super stressful. Yeah. Um, Just a little bit, just a little bit. And uh, that was when I joined the church of the Nazarene. I found, I found a church in Dayton, Ohio that was looking for a young adult pastor and, Uh, my wife and I are very much adventurous and kind of, you know, traveling spirits. Like our last name, Foresteros, means stranger traveler in Spanish. Uh, And so, like, that's kind of who we are. And uh, that's what's up. um, Yeah. So we went to Dayton, Ohio. I joined the Church of the Nazarene. Uh, Initially, just kind of a little skeptically. I was like, well, I, I know I can serve in this denomination in good conscience, but I've really fallen in love. You know, every every denomination has its problems. We have plenty of problems, but I think they're problems that we're working to address. I was very, we had a, our quadrennial general assembly this last year, uh, this last summer. I was very encouraged by the direction that the church is headed based on all of that. And, uh, Yeah, three years ago we came to Catalyst to be the uh, pastors down here, and like you said, my wife joined roller derby down here, and so (laughs) yeah, that's awesome. She's her her skater name is Mother Terrorista, and (laughs) I uh, I love it. It's it's been really cool. Like again, the derby community is not one that's particularly Jesus friendly as a rule, Um, Mm. but. We've just we it's been awesome to just be in that community and live life with those people and just be able to have conversations about faith and about yeah. And and again, I think because I have learned to question so much, yeah, it makes it easier to talk with me because if they're like, Oh, I've got these problems with Christianity, I'm like, Oh, cool, let's make a list together because I've got plenty of my own, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, so you, man, you said it a lot, man, that, this is awesome. I love it because you, so the questioning I think is, is really, I've, I've found as I've taught particularly undergrad, like once people get to grad school, there's a sense of like, I, I mean, I've been pushed around a little bit, you know, but undergrad, they come in 18, 19 and it's like especially teaching at a private Christian school it's like there is a sense of i know and dang it i'm an adult now and no one's going to tell me different and how dare you challenge that notion that maybe something i that i've learned right um yep. it could be wrong and so how does then does that play out in your church um you i'm imagining we've talked a little bit about this but i'm imagining you still identify as evangelical
0: and yeah so i don't feel like i'm allowed to uh bail okay all right (laughs) okay so so let me just say this you know uh after after the election it was like 82 percent of evangelicals voted for trump and Mm -hmm. my like people of color christians of color were just like so uh hurt isn't really even strong enough like i think it was like devastating know and so I I know I've yeah. seen a lot of my friends of color who have said I just can't I know you do this so I can't can't identify <laughs> as evangelical anymore. I had a bunch of my white friends do that too and uh-huh. I was like listen for people of color doing that I I get it <laughs> I get it white people come on now like you're the ones that actually have a voice in evangelicalism. Like we for us to like for for me for me to pack up my for me to bail, it feels like I would be like, well, I'm just taking my toys and going home because you don't agree with me. Like, <laughs> like at the, and in fact, I actually, I posted a, I wrote a, I, I have a friend who's an author named Juliana Baggett. Okay. And she, she did this, um, this blog before the election called Dedicate Your No Trump Vote. And she would have different people who were writing and saying, here's why I'm not voting for Trump. Okay. And, they like, and, they, you know, and they, again, they were artistic, they were creative, whatever. So I wrote one for her. And sent it in and she thought it was hilarious because when she published it, she said it, you know, a white evangelical male pastor in Texas dedicates his no Trump vote. Yeah, you read that right. And I was yeah. like, Well, I'm not like a very typical Texas evangelical pastor. Boy. Right, right, um,
1: right, right. <laughs> uh,
0: but what I said in that post was I said, I said, um, for me, if Donald Trump wins, it doesn't cost me anything. Whoa. And mm. actually, again, my cultural position will become even more stable and powerful than it has been because Mm. i'm a white evangelical male like you know so i said i said i'm dedicating my no trump vote to all of all of the women that i love all of my friends of color all of the immigrants all of the people who will be hurt by his presidency yeah um like i'm not voting for him like if i was voting for in my own selfish best interest like it'd be donald trump um but well i mean i don't really mean that but you know what i mean like I'm
1: i'm with you i'm with you
0: um so, so I feel the same way. Like, yeah, I still identify as an evangelical because I feel like I still have a place and a voice and a role. And if anyone is going to, if anyone is going to stay and raise some hell, it's going to be people like me, who <laughs> frankly have the have the margin to do that. You know, there's so much that I can say that women and persons of color can't say yeah so yeah. I, I get like I've left places where it was clear that my voice had no influence you know I, again one of the big reasons I left this Southern Baptist denomination not the church I mean obviously I was that was not very voluntary but the denomination was that I I believe in full egalitarian gender roles you know mm. and, and ordaining women in ministry and, and full, you know, fully that there should be no difference between men and women Yeah, and I spent six years beating that drum in the Southern Baptist church and, and getting nowhere. No, like no, (laughs) like none, no, no movement at all, you know? Yeah. And I thought I got to a place where I was like, this is an, this is an important enough justice issue for me that I can't just like keep doing this here. Like I need to go someplace where this issue is something I can make a, a positive difference in. So in the church of the Nazarene, we ordain women we have since we were incorporated in 1908, we just don't do a very good job of living that out, placing them in churches, giving them um, positions of authority and leadership. Like currently in U S and Canada region, we have zero female district superintendents. Um, And and the, and the, 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 the the lead pastor numbers are it's, I I think it's like, like 25% female or something like way less than 50, 50. Okay. But I can make a difference there and I am making a difference there. I have influence and, uh, can, can speak truth to power in a way that actually is creating positive difference, whether that's encouraging my friends who are female pastors who find in me a, a male ally, or whether it's actually like putting pressure on the denominational structure to become more just in, yeah. in this issue. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, I don't know if that probably doesn't make a lot of sense, but I, I just feel like, I feel like as a white male straight white male um for me to leave evangelicalism would be the easy way out and i don't think that's the same case for women and persons of color at all like but but for me i just feel like hmm. i feel like I, I don't know i feel like i have to i have to stay and keep saying like you can't do that that's wrong that's unbiblical that's <laughs> satanic like you know what i mean yeah like yeah and I think it was—I think it was—it was, uh, it was uh, Ephraim Smith who said um, on the episode that you where you interviewed him, mm-hmm. right? That it's—it's not—it's not the folks who voted for Trump, sort of, because they felt like that was like the lesser of two evils or whatever. It's the folks that were like gleeful and excited that like this is God's will, and this, you know, mm-hmm. like that's again, that's 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 the place where I think that that we ought to be speaking truth to power you know yeah. um and and again I, I i we we don't talk about vo- the voting booth in our congregation okay uh, yeah. we don't endorse candidates or any of that but i know that uh, i don't know if it was a majority of folks in my congregation or not but i know a lot of folks voted for trump and i you know um gosh at the end of the day i that's not something that that's not something that can prevent me from being in community with those folks and that's not and, and and our church i know a lot of churches suffered but i had a number of people on both sides of the political spectrum who okay. quit coming to church during the election and when i would reach out to them they were like i just can't see so and so from the other side because i see what they're posting on facebook all week and I, I just can't come to church and see them at church wow you know yeah and i get like i get it yeah Um, But I think at the end of the day, I am asking as a pastor, how do we be a congregation where the politics of the kingdom of God shape our political imaginations in the world, not the other way around? Mm, Yeah. Right? Because I think what's happening is we're like, what is setting our agendas? What is determining how we worship? What is determining who we worship with is United States politics. Yeah. and. I I love the fact that our congregation is people all across the board. I mean, I, we have people who voted for every candidate, not just the two. And we have people that didn't vote. And I think if the church is going to have any kind of hope in the future, it's that all of those folks can be in communion together. Yeah. Share table together and learn from each other. You know? Um, no, absolutely.
1: And so, so, so this is a great conversation then. So, I mean, in in, in regards to that, because I think there is a, a, a conversation and, and, and a movement for that matter. So it's like, on one end, I got my Black Youth Project, BYP 100, Black Lives Matter group who, you know, and, and some of them take a more Marxist approach to, um, religion in general. Right. And so, um, very, it's, it's almost like, um, I say, I, you know, I say, I've said this quote a couple of times, but it was uh, an associate on Facebook. I wouldn't just say call him a friend, although that's how Facebook defines it. But I had posted on something about race and Christianity, and his response was like, "Well, how can you as a black person even be a Christian, right?" And so I'm like, ah, I. I mean, I get that the there's the 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 races where I get the colonialism, I get all of that stuff. But for me, the faith is so much bigger than that. As and 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 so that's why I continue to now. Granted, you're right. I mean, I've asked questions. I got a lot of cracks that are just keep expanding, right? Mm-hmm. And like you said, I can make those lists too. But I'm not. I'm not. And I've been to that point where I'm like, okay, am I going to follow God? Am I just going to go the humanist route? And so, how do those how do those two come together? Because I got on one end saying, "Nah, man, forget that. Reconciliation can't happen. We ain't, we ain't we ain't gonna have that." And especially now after the November election. And then you got the other side saying, "No, well, let's try to come together. Let's let's be in this conversation and dialogue. How do you how do you reconcile that? How do okay, you engage so, with that?"
0: Yeah. So let me say this. Yes. I feel constant guilt. As a pastor. When I talk about this stuff, because our congregation is a white congregation, like culturally. We have a number okay. of non-white, black, Hispanic, Asian, who are part of our congregation, but it's not a multicultural congregation. It's like a culturally white congregation okay. who has non-white people attending, if that if that distinction makes sense. Yes. So when I'm preaching to the body, uh-huh. I'm preaching to a white body. And So I say things like, we need to listen. We need to talk less. We need to give the other the benefit of the doubt. And when I'm saying those things, I'm actually saying those things to white people, not to persons of color.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: Like, I I actually don't think persons of color need to be silent. (laughs) I actually don't think persons of color owe me the benefit of the doubt. Um, I don't think I've actually done much to earn the benefit of that. In fact, (laughs) after... um, uh, Charleston after the church shooting
1: oh yeah yeah
0: when um when they offered forgiveness to white America mm-hmm. um the, the 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 relatives of the people who were killed I I called my best friend who's a, a a white pastor in Memphis who does a lot of race reconciliation stuff and I was like man I don't think we deserve that forgiveness mm. like I don't think we've done anything to earn that forgiveness like I think her impulse is beautiful to offer that But, like, I don't think forgiveness can happen. Like, okay, so I I don't want to get into how we define forgiveness, but her (laughs) internal movement of forgiveness to release the anger and the hate and the hurt is a beautiful thing. Yeah. If we just say, thanks, and move on without actually doing anything to begin to reconcile that, we don't deserve that. And I Mm. think by, by her offering it to us, it 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 was almost like a, okay, well now we don't have to think about it anymore because we got forgiveness. Man. So
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So so I say a lot I say all that to say. Um I have sort of stopped asking persons of color to be patient or to wait or to give the benefit of the doubt or to listen more, because I just like I don't know. I, it just sounds silly to do that to me, given everything that's been happening over the last couple of years. Um, hmm. per, specifically, I mean that's that's when it seems like the conversation has finally broken out of minority communities and in, into the the dominant culture. Um, but I mean, again, I know that I know that in the black community, particularly, especially in the black Christian community, this has been a conversation that's been going on since before emancipation. Um, <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. So let me let me back up and circle around it come at it a different way because this is how I've been thinking about it for the last few years. All right, come um, on. So I heard a black theologian and I cannot remember his name and that's gonna kill me, I'll, I'll, but he spoke at a conference a couple of years ago called subverting the Norm. Okay? And he made this like casual aside comment. That just completely it was like one of those things that he just dropped in passing and it was like a shockwave in my brain and I couldn't hear anything else the entire rest of the comments. Uh, yeah, yep, 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 yep. And so so he pointed out when sort of like uh, nihilism and atheistic theologies got really popular and he pointed out that it was kind of like in the 1960s and after that that they got to be really kind of trendy and popular and his aside that he mentioned was it's like the god's not dead theology and all that that you know that yeah. like when that kind of took root yeah and and he he pointed out that that is about the same time that western colonial imperialism was crashing all over the world okay all right, right? so he said when white people figured out the world didn't revolve around them they decided there must be no god <laughs> oh man oh, oh. and i was i was i was just like <gasps> <laughs> he's right like he's right oh my gosh and so what what that did for me was it it clarified the reality that white culture is on the way towards minority status
1: yeah you
0: know, we know that's going to be what by the by by 2040 or something like that white yeah. will be a in the united states
1: well the new prii studies talking about you know how white christianity is on decline and denominationalism and all of that stuff man so yes
0: yes so so we know like it's just a matter of time when no one's taking anything back or making it great again like it's like however bad things get like there's a there's a a shelf life on this and (laughs) and there's like there is a there is a genuine fear in white culture because it's it is a it is a perceived loss of power and status. Sure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, um I was okay, I'm going to switch. I promise all these threads are going to come together or at least I'll try to bring oh, them. Oh no, I'm, wi- I'm with you, brother. So, I it. was reading uh for 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 several years I was troubled by the Magnificat, Mary's song that she sings when she finds out she's pregnant with the Christ mm, child. Mm. Because she says all this beautiful stuff, like he will he will sit, he will feed the hungry and he will lift up the powerless and he will you know give wealth to the poor and like all these kinds of things. But at the same time, she says uh, he will feed the hungry, but he will send the rich away. Or yeah, he will feed whatever he'll give food to the poor. He'll send the rich away hungry. He will lift up the humbled, but he will pull the exalted down from their thrones. Mm. And as a Wesleyan who believes that God's core uh essential attribute is love i i struggled for a long time to understand how pulling people down from thrones could be loving how sending rich away hungry could be loving like i get how it's good news for the other side right right and again given given mary is certainly among the poor and the humble and the hungry like i get why it's good news for her but if i'm being honest like i look more like pontius pilate than i do mary the mother of christ right and so Like I was, I was just like, it was sort of an existential issue. I was like, I don't know how this is good news for me. Hmm. Right. And I don't remember how I like how this realization hit me, but it just kind of hit me at some point that justice is experienced as loss for people who are in positions of power. Okay. All right. Right. Yeah. Yeah if, if everything is going to be leveled equalized made just and fair and right that means yeah the people who are low are going to be lifted up but also that means that the people who are high are going to be brought down yeah and so that is good news because it is justice yeah but it doesn't feel like good news to people in positions of privilege and status it Whoa. feels like loss wow. right yeah yes i mean that, so so that's the issue and I think, again, for white America, it is good news that voices of color are finally being privileged, that women are finally being treated more equitably, um, that all of, that all of these all of these minority groups are being lifted up and being given voice and positions of cultural influence. That is good news. Yeah, but it doesn't feel like good news to the people who formerly had the monopoly on those spaces. Yes, right. Yes. like yes. now, I think it's the right movement. Mm-hmm. but I also understand the emotions of fear and anxiety and loss that people in positions of power are feeling. And we all know how people act when they're afraid, right? I mean that yeah. like, yeah, yeah. so so a couple of a couple of implications for that for how I am trying to grow personally and as a pastor and lead a congregation um one i think because we know that white culture is becoming marginalized and white culture is losing power and position and privilege if we try to continue to cling on to that the only end of that is atheism Mm. death death of god debt you know all this kind of stuff I think, the, I think what we have to do is let go of all of that and turn around and sit down and assume the posture of students and begin to learn how to do theology from a marginalized perspective from people who have been doing theology from marginalized perspectives for thousands of years. Wow. And so, and again, I think it was when you were talking with uh, Reverend Greer on that episode with him, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you were talking about how like Christianity has been in Africa for thousands of years. Like there there are non-colonized African Christianities that are out there mm-hmm. that are available to us. Um, but you're never taught those in seminary because it's Western, it's all Western, Western, Western. And I think if the white church has any hope of being meaningful for white people, american christians a generation from now we are going to have to let go of our theologies of power and learn these theologies of um of flourishing that come from marginalized groups because we are going to be a marginalized group and like why why reinvent the wheel man right but that requires (laughs) us to be students and that's why i said like i keep saying to people like listen more like listen right. more. Like there are right. people that are already doing that. There are people that already have the answers to the questions that we haven't even started asking yet. Man. Right? And and like we just have to start listening. So, I mean, again, like I personally am just trying to read and surround myself with voices of color um who are doing theology differently, and it is incredibly challenging. Um I can't tell you how many times just in listening to the previous episodes of this podcast, <laughs> I just had to like put my head down and cry a little bit because I was just like they're right and this is really hard like it's really hard you know um when it comes to leading a congregation Mm -hmm. uh i think modeling because we have in christ the perfect model of how surrendering power is good news yeah Uh, yeah um you know in in philippians 2 uh, especially if you read the New Living Translation, which that's what we preach and teach out of, because it's really easy to understand. And we have a lot of people that have never seen a Bible before. So uh, it says that, you know, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he gave up his divine privileges and took the form of a slave.
1: Mm. Right? Wow. And, and so, wow.
0: like, that's if, if we can teach people, we being white preachers, hmm we can really, really, really lean into the, the movement of incarnation that ends in a cross and say, loss is good, loss is good, loss is good. Weakness is good, weakness is good, weakness is good. Vulnerability is good, vulnerability is good, vulnerability is good. If we can work this into the DNA of our people, yeah, then I think that begins to lessen the anxieties that we feel in social settings.
1: When we experience
0: loss of position, when we experience loss of power, when we experience, you know, we say, yeah, that it is loss, but like loss is good. Yeah. You know, loss is the way of Christ. Like if we can, if we can give up that power and not cling to it and celebrate that other people are being raised up because of our willingness to lay it down, that's good. Man, one of the things that just hit me right now as you're talking,
1: I mean, and, and let, let me, I just wanted to interject this because this mm. this story, I mean, this, because this is deep. I mean, because this is this type of stuff. I ain't going to front. <laughs> Somebody's probably listening to this right now who's probably, it's, it's, this is going to be assigned to, to the class and stuff right <laughs> So, but one of the things I think about, all right, I mean, let me just make it relative to me. I mean, and in, in, in where I'm at, I mean, I think about, okay, this podcast and, and, and the learning curve it takes to get something like this going there. There's a hundred different opinions on which, how a podcast should go, how does, and it's almost like there's a gatekeeping sense. And so in one element of this, thinking about what you're talking about here, laying down power uh, uh, and being able to, you know, to, to walk alongside folks. I mean, that is essentially what you did for me in helping me figure out how to do this, because otherwise I wouldn't have known about this or that or the series engine or how to burn your feed and all that stuff. I and mean, so, it, but you know, but you could have easily been like, Hey, I had to figure it out. You got to figure it out too, man. I mean, see, you know what I mean? I don't know what to tell you, man. You know, and, but that's so much of what I think Western individualism has placed on the Christian faith. It's like, you know, this personal relationship with Jesus Christ this this personality of it. And so I don't know, as you're talking, I mean, again, it may be just a whack example of, 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 of this, but it's like you were able to come in and be like, nah, man, check this out. This is what you got to do. Do this, do this, do this. And then it's like, boom, you're up and running. And I think I, as as I've interacted with young people, man, for the last two decades, it's like so many of them just need a little bit. Now I don't want to simplify it. And those of you listening like, oh, all he's just saying is like, they only need this. No, I'm not saying the one thing, but so many of them just, they need that support in order to make it up and to even begin to, enter into a space of empowerment of the, for their own lives. I don't know if that makes sense, but I, I just wanted yeah. to point that out as you were, as you were talking here.
0: Well, and you know, for me, I'm not going to lie. Selfishly. I like, I love your voice. I love the way you talk about God, the way you think through things. And so for me, it was like, I like, I want Dan's voice in the world more, you know? I mean, that, you know, that it was the same, well, my, my Wesleyan feminist theology podcast. Like I start like, that started because I have a friend who did some freelance writing for a, a denominational publication and he was working on like ten podcasts every pastor should be listening to. And he messaged <laughs> me and he was like, Hey, who are like your top female pastor female theology podcasts? And I w- I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't I don't listen to any. Mm. And so then I went and started researching and I was like, Man, there like there aren't any. Yeah. What? <laughs> crazy. So I I messaged uh, my friend Tara, who's my co-host on that show, uh-huh. I said, "Hey, listen, I think you need to start this podcast. Like, you don't even have to be good. You just have to be. You're the only <laughs> show in town. Like, you know." Now Tara's is going to be good, and I even said, "I was like, I don't want to be on it. I just want. I will produce it. Like, I'll edit your audio. I'll wow. do all the back end stuff for it. Yeah. Like, I just this needs this needs to exist in the world, and you need to do it." So she recruited another female co-host, female pastor. And then they came back to me and they said, "We would actually like you as like a male feminist to be on the podcast." And I was like, "Well, okay, I'm super excited about that." But like, like my my agenda was not like to have one more podcast. It was like, man, this is a this is an area where there are not voices that there need to be voices, you know. Yeah. And So I just and I you know that's that's the same model at our church. Like I have a lay preaching team, mm-hmm. and so my my ultimate long-term goal is to be in the pulpit half the time or less and that the rest of the time is people from the congregation that i think have been gifted by the spirit to teach who maybe don't have you know advanced degrees in new testament theology and all of that. <laughs> right and right. so like i have a process that i work through with my lay preachers where we outline the message together um they write it i edit it with them and then even work through like the actual uh performance of the message in the preaching moment uh because again I want I want to do everything I can as their pastor to equip them to exercise their gift for the, of the spirit for the edification of the body. And one of the things that does is it keeps the church from being all about me. Yeah. Um because yeah. because I'm not the one I'm not like the 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 spiritual guru on the pedestal who's dispensing secret knowledge to all of my people, right? <laughs> right. Um I'm getting and in fact like I had one of my I mean, again, a couple of my people—they—they—they're very, uh, they're very like kind of theologically shallow because they've—they've not had theological training. They're educators or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I had a—I have a—I have a one of one of them is a teacher who preaches, and she's always so self-conscious because I do so much of the theological legwork for her. And I said, after we outlined her sermon that she preached this summer, I told her, I said, I just want you to know, like, this message is not at all the message I would have written if I were preaching the sermon. Mm-hmm. And she said, really? I said, no, it's not. I know you feel like I did a bunch of the work for you. But this is the, that the core of this, this is your, like, this is your message. It's 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 the intersection of our series that we're in, and the text that we're using for this day, and what the Spirit is doing in your life. And if you had swapped out you for me, it would have gone in a completely different direction. And and so I, say, I said that, you know, to encourage her to say like, yeah, I'm helping you, I'm, I'm equipping you, but you are the preacher in this moment, you know, mm-hmm. and it's and again, they, my lay preachers say things that I, I could not say because I don't come from their perspectives. I'm not a mother. I'm not a father. Uh, I'm not a, a teacher, you know, and so like they, they bring all of these different perspectives to yeah. their Uh, And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. You know, and our church, it's it's been a learning curve. Our church, you know, again, we live in Texas. So a lot of folks are like, (laughs) pastor is the one that's up there giving the message. And I'm like, sorry, not not here, man, not all the time. Sorry. Like if that's, (laughs) if that's what you want, like there's 17 churches down the road. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Like we we are a church where where I am constantly trying to give away power and give away position and give away authority. And you know, because that's, if we model that and if we embody that then when it comes time to do that at a cultural level i think it's going to be easier for us to do that oh man maybe i mean we'll see it's an experiment right maybe we'll get five years into this and it'll explode um but i don't i don't think so like i think that yeah i think that if 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 any part of white christianity is going to be resurrected on the other side of our marginalization, which again, when I say our marginalization, what I actually mean is the enactment of justice, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have to learn how to do this. And and again, I think everything either changes or dies and, um, and in the church, we don't have to be afraid of giving up power and following Jesus to a cross because we know that resurrection is on the other side of it. And I, I have hope for whatever evangelicalism is going to look like. I have hope for what the Christian church is going to look like. I have hope for what white Christians will be able to contribute to the kingdom of God two, three, four, five generations from now, because I believe, I believe in resurrection. Hmm.
1: Woo, brother you've given us a lot to think on right here and chew and uh oh, waiting oh man um i love it i love it i love it um so i mean as we're thinking about this we definitely got i have to i gotta i gotta get you back on i mean i know you got the book coming out um when is it releasing it released on november 7th okay right before your book right yeah it's, uh we were in fact i just got the email i gotta send him. a Hi, I'm I'm behind. <laughs> I guess some <I'm> the author <laughs> questionnaire and high res uh, a, a picture of me. I'm redoing my headshots because I'm like man, yeah. I've had this, the same headshot for like you know five years. So, um, so yeah, man, it's it's, it's gonna be coming out and so I'm, I'm excited about that. But I got to get you back on because I definitely want to promote that. I want to just what, what I I read. I was I, I was I was definitely honored that you asked me to give a blurb and just reading that, I was like, oh man. I got it. We got to talk about just just the title alone. Empathy for the Devil, man, that is beautiful.
0: And we were so both. I, go ahead. I gotta say, like my agent told me that it was gonna be too edgy for the Christian market. So we <laughs> we pitched it as a different title. Oh. And he he offered empathy for the devil as an alternate title. Okay. And IVP when they press interest, they said, "Well, we we prefer." empathy for the devil and i was like that's good because it's clearly a better title that, so.
1: man that's what's up that's what's up man yeah i know titles for those of you out there man reading an author and titles i mean oh man the fights the, the arguments about finding a good title because yes yeah absolutely man um so where can people find you on the web i mean you've you've, you've said a few things but uh i mean, i'll post Tell all me, these yeah. in the show notes as well but you know where where can people look you
0: up so the easiest way to find all of my stuff is I do a weekly newsletter every Friday where I do like different pop culture recommendations. I do a little scripture reflection, which is actually like probably my favorite piece of writing I do. It's where I get the weirdest and I kind of experiment Um and then I also do a list of all of the things that I produced that week. So any of my podcast episodes that go up, I put in there. That's if good. I like that, when this comes out, like all it'll be in there. I'll be like, Hey, I was a guest on this podcast. Go check it out over here. Any articles I wrote or blog or whatever. And then I do book updates, like leading up to the book launch. So that newsletter is called stuff. You'll probably like. All right. Uh, Cause you know, I don't know. There's some stuff <laughs> people won't totally agree with me about, about. <laughs> but, um, but <laughs> I, if you go I to stuff, it. you'll probably like.com that takes you right to the sign up sheet for that um and then all of the rest of my stuff you can find at norvalrogers.com that's the where i blog with a couple of my podcast co-hosts and if you can't remember that it's shaggy from scooby-doo's real name so if you just (laughs) if you just go google shaggy from scooby-doo's real name you'll find Norval Rogers, and you go to norvalrogers.com and that's where all the podcasts are hosted and that's where i blog and all that kind of stuff so
1: that's amazing man well i'm gonna like i said and i'll put all these the links in there and so you guys can um uh, connect with it, but uh, Jr. Thank you so much for coming on Profane Great today.
0: It's been an honor. I love this podcast. I already it's already been very challenging and very helpful for me. So I'm I'm really honored to be a guest on.
1: Well, man, thank you so much, man. This is I appreciate that, and you know we gonna like I said we are gonna have you back, brother. You gonna you yeah, gonna a a, re, a reoccurring guest, man. With them, deals. I said
0: everything I have to say. Now I have nothing left to say. So I should have should <laughs>
1: have I should have shared it all in the first episode. <laughs> That's okay, man. We'll we'll come up with something, man. We'll talk about comic books or something, man. <laughs> Okay, that's good. All or right. horror films. <laughs> horror films, because I'm yeah. still, you know, I just saw Poltergeist, so, you know, the original <laughs> one, man. <laughs>
0: <That's> <laughs> so.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, man. Well, thank you so much, brother. Thanks, Dan. what I tell you? what I tell you? I told you. I told you it was deep. <laughs> There's so many good nuggets in there um and i think the thing i one of the things i love most about jr is just his thought process and how he puts things together um and like he was saying like you know you have got to like if somebody disagrees with you like you know they may actually have been thinking about these things long before right this 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 interaction right um and so i think that's great i think that's awesome uh, as it relates to just god faith theology um and how we process right how we process, now I know my process theologians are out there saying, yes, process theologians, but how we process God uh, in an era that says you have to have these answers. In a, in a time when when so much of the Christian faith has been inundated by Western evangelicalism, and, and you know we have to know this, and if you don't believe this, if you don't believe that, then you must be out I'm just going to continually say no that is not the case. I don't think God made us to be all the same and to think all the same way. And so I think it's important to have voices like JR that's out there. And and I know I for one, I mean I you know, I mean I struggle with aspects of of whiteness and white racism and white supremacy. But I appreciate that Jr. has been able to embrace those things, know about it, and to continually push forward. One of the things, particularly with white folks, and and white males in particular, because white males in particular are some of the hardest to engage with to have these conversations because so much power, well, white cisgendered males, right? heteronormative males um, that identify as white, male, and Christian are some of the hardest uh, because they have so much power and privilege. And I love that Jr. brought up this, this understanding of you know, that connection, Philippians 2, you know, to Jesus, you know, how he laid down his power. And it's going to feel like a blessing to those who don't have power, but what about those, right, who do have the power? And I think that's where we're at, right? With that kickback, that that engagement, right? With, you know, white folks feeling like I don't have any power. We're taking away these statues, you know, the Confederate statues. And, you know, you're taking away um, our heritage. Whiteness is disappearing. And I'm just like, man, what? <laughs> As a black person, I'm like, man, you've had everything conferred upon you. But JR has been able to engage in that and sit in that and I know I for one am am really happy that he's in those circles um and it gives me encouragement I ain't gonna lie I mean there's a lot of discouragement you know I don't I'm not someone who believes in like reconciliation and like oh we're gonna reconcile and we're gonna do but I it gives me encouragement that JR is in those places and in those spaces and places and so I wanted to have that conversation I wanted to engage with that I wanted to be um I wanted us to really sit with some of those things that he's raising up, and so I have appreciated and continue to appreciate just where JR is and how he... Theologizes. I think it's great. So I hope you enjoyed it. Um, and as always, if you like the podcast, please subscribe. We're uh, on iTunes and Stitcher and Google and SoundCloud. And so check us out in one of those venues or you can just go to Uh Check us out. There's also a blog there as well. So for those of you who like to read, there's some material there. Um, and if I haven't thrown out my own personal website, whitehotchcom there's some material there as well. And then I have some books coming out as well so check those out let me know what you think drop me a note and i will see you the next time peace